Welcome to the first edition of the National Public Health Information Coalition's podcast series, Public Health Speaks. I'm Sheree Rivera, podcasting from Long Beach, California, and I'll be your host today for this very important first episode. It is now widely known that communities of color are being disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, and African-American communities are being hit particularly hard. This troubling reality is a complex issue, and joining me today to discuss is our guest, Dr. Garth Walker. Dr. Walker is an emergency medical physician at the Jesse Brown VA Medical Center and a public health researcher in Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Walker. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start off, first of all, by saying thank you so much for being with us today. Um, And I read a quote of yours that I loved, and I want you to unpack it for us a bit, but I'm going to read it first. You said, my hope is to get Chicago to a place where we can improve economic and healthcare disparities seen in our communities by conveying the empathy needed from stakeholders to drive action for their neighbors and also where children on the South and West side of Chicago have equitable opportunities to achieve. Wow, that is a statement. (laughs) Tell us more about your work in this area. Sure. So um, I'm an emergency physician by training. uh, And what I do clinically is pretty, for the most part, straightforward. I see patients, I treat them, I diagnose them. Uh, But one of the biggest challenges Mm -hmm. is understanding patients' lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And that plays a huge role in healthcare outcomes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a public health researcher, and I I also uh, have a tech platform that focuses on social determinants of health, Uh, One of the biggest challenges and one of the things that we try to get people to understand is uh, how do we get people to care about their neighbor? So when I think about healthcare disparities research, it's not new research. It's uh, research that has been uh, put forth for decades and decades. Uh, When I think about lung cancer, when I think about heart attacks, the amount of improvement we've made with that research has resulted in an increased life expectancy, uh, great innovation. But when it comes to healthcare disparities and addressing uh, issues that fall along uh, racial and economic lines, uh, we just haven't seen that type of improvement. And part of the crux of that is we need social and economic policy to be very intentional. And, uh, what that requires is a lot of intentionality as well as a lot of empathy. Mm. And that was essentially what I was trying to get at uh, with that that quote. I love it. Wow. So Dr. Walker, the National Public Health Information Coalition is a network of public health communicators from around the country. So they, like you, are on the front lines of this outbreak and are charged with providing timely and accurate information to help the public reduce the risk of contracting or spreading the virus and saving lives. So with that said, Dr. Walker, our goal today is to invite you to help us understand the reasons behind the higher rates of infections in communities of color, uh, particularly African-American community, and explore ways in which we can break through the misinformation and provide science-based messaging that is culturally appropriate for these communities. So let's get started. Recent data shows that Louisiana, 
African-Americans accounted for 70% of COVID-19 deaths, while making up only 33% of the population. In Michigan, African-Americans accounted for 14% of the population and 40% of deaths. And in your hometown of Chicago, Dr. Walker, African-Americans accounted for 56% of deaths and 30% of the population. In New York, black people are twice as likely as white people to die from the virus. So that's a lot that's heavy, but why do you think uh, these disparities exist specifically in the African-American community? Yeah, no problem. So we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but one thing I do want to be clear about is that like the color of your skin shouldn't be a risk factor for Mm. these type of issues. Um, When I think about social determinants of health, I think about how that accounts for 80% of people's healthcare outcomes. Um, A lot of research will show that 20% could just be to genetics, maybe uh, clinical outcomes or the way that you uh, interact. Uh, interface with the healthcare system. Mm. But what social determinants of health does, it shows us the barriers to interfacing with the healthcare system. Mm. So when I think about African-Americans in particular, and I don't want to, and it's not just African-Americans, Native Americans have been hit extremely hard. Mm. Uh, Latinos have been hit extremely hard as well. we're getting a consistent theme of these poor outcomes falling along racial and economic lines. Mm. Uh, let me focus on African-Americans. Okay. I usually start with a historical context. Mm-hmm. So um, at baseline, what would be a driver of disparities? Uh, I tend to focus on thinking about just cultural barriers, Tuskegee, uh, inappropriate research on black and brown bodies, uh, Henrietta Lacks, uh, inappropriate research on black and brown bodies and not necessarily being able to reap the rewards of the findings. Uh, stem cell transplants have huge disparities in terms of who gets them. Uh, so if I see a patient and um, maybe a grandmother who may not want to take the medication that we prescribe or may not want to come into the hospital, from that perspective, it's understandable. Um, and then you think about Chicago, which has had similar practices to other urban areas uh, in terms of structural racism, uh, redlining, uh, systemic racial practices to uh, inhibit Black people from uh, pursuing homes. And as we all know, one of the most effective ways to gain wealth is by owning a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. In the Gold Coast and the South and West side, the life expectancy can be as much as 20 to 30 years. Mm. And it matches the wealth distribution as well. And it matches the racial distribution as well. So when I put all those things together, it kind of paints the perfect storm for things such as the pandemic to affect one community much more than the other. Mm. Why do you think um, the mistrust of healthcare systems persists? Um, it's been it's been a long time uh, since the Tuskegee experiment. So why are we still seeing uh, mistrust, misinformation in the African American community? What do you think? Uh, I think when I when I think about that, I'm I think that can explain like why there is probably uh, inherent disparity with medication adherence, mm-hmm. uh, following up outpatient adherence. To the degree of how much and how prevalent it is now, I'm honestly unsure I would have to look at what the exact data shows. But mm-hmm. 
the the history is recent enough for mm-hmm. it to impact a family mm-hmm. or to impact uh, a household. And a lot of times in our communities, matriarchs are the huge healthcare decision makers. They're the ones that are keeping their husbands healthy. They're the ones deciding who gets vaccines and things of that nature. Um, but I think any community uh, that has a storied history with uh, unethical research done uh, that was unsafe uh, is right to be apprehensive mm-hmm. or second guess a recommendation uh, for those communities. So what it really takes is just um, action and showing through your actions a commitment to uh, breaking down those those barriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so NIFIC uh, serves and supports um, healthcare communicators. And so one of the things that was a huge obstacle at the beginning of this outbreak was that uh, there was this myth going around in many African-American communities that uh, African-Americans were immune to the virus. Did you hear this? So I've been engaging with uh, uh, our community leaders via CRAB. And one of the things that I definitely heard about was this myth as well as several other myths as well. Uh, I'm not sure where the myth was born, but it's one of them. Uh, I think it invites the urgency of why we need to get out there and why we need to engage our community members to address public health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beauty of public health is that like when things like this happen, uh, it there tends to be simple things that you can do to save lives. Mm. Um, but what can make it challenging is when people have different types of social and cultural issues or economic issues that can um, help reduce the efficacy of those, uh, of those recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think all of us want to feel like we have control uh, of our lives or at least the ability to protect ourselves and our loved ones. So do you think there's a danger in allowing the narrative, there's this narrative that African-Americans are almost predestined to be at a much greater risk for COVID-19 because of underlying conditions such as high blood pressure and diabetes. Oh, I think that's extreme. I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty, I think for anybody having hypertension, diabetes puts you more at risk to having poor outcomes. But I also think that it's a lazy excuse to explain Mm -hmm. Uh, why African-Americans or immigrants or uh, certain communities are more at risk than others because it's more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what it does, it kind of absolves responsibility of the privilege to address some of these social and economic issues that should be targeted. So uh, in my mind, if we want to, there's short-term and long-term things you can do. So short-term, Right, we is engaging the community, knocking down these myths, uh, providing PPE, providing resources. Um, but things that will hopefully mitigate this from ever happening again is advocating for uh, equitable contracts to minorities, equitable job opportunities, job training opportunities to capital, uh, education, uh, things that drive. Uh, healthcare disparities, particularly in a healthcare environment where 
your ability to get good care is your ability to work. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it can be a very dangerous narrative to just focus on comorbidities as the reason for why minorities are more at risk. Because to me, no, being black is not at risk. If you look at uh, Caribbean countries, uh, African countries, you would see some form of genetic predisposition because it's not like hypertension and diabetes doesn't occur there. Um, but here, there's a little bit more, a couple layers to peel back on that. This is Public Health Speaks, and we are talking with Dr. Garth Walker, an emergency medical physician and public health researcher in the Chicago area, about the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on communities of color. We will continue our discussion with Dr. Walker after this brief message. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. All right, welcome back. Let's say you're going to develop a comprehensive communications plan to help educate and raise awareness, specifically in the African-American community, on how they can protect themselves and their families from COVID-19. What are some of the key strategies you, Dr. Walker, would include? Well, one thing I I always say is that for any stakeholder, it doesn't even have to be physicians. It okay. can be private sector, it could be uh, education, is to partner with community leaders uh, and community organizations, uh, trusted agents that uh, know the pulse of the community and what are some of the different challenges, because that's how we're going to learn. Like operating in a silo is all, pretty ineffective Mm. in uh, addressing these type of issues. And so if I was to start a communications campaign, it's it's targeting organizations that are doing that effectively. And oftentimes that means gaining trust initially and showing that they can trust you and that you have their best interests at hand. Uh, And that could be as simple as just helping out uh, when they have any type of initiative that they have going forward and developing that relationship. Um, from like a content, focusing on the evidence, the high yield evidence and trying to decide which is clinical and then which it can be subject to uh, differences in like social and cultural norms and how to kind of uh, intervene from that standpoint and work with community leaders to address that. And then also share Stats. So one of the things that I usually open up with before working with uh, a community organization is like, this is how it's affecting our community and this is why we need to focus on it. And usually once if they trust you or if they trust the organization that you're working with, uh, they will trust that data and they will disperse it appropriately. And, And then communicating to uh, leadership that may not have that exposure or using your platform uh, to tell people that may not be exposed on a regular basis what that is and what's going on and advocating for uh, 
vulnerable populations to uh, get the resources that they need that your maybe associated platform might be able to help with mm -hmm. uh, and also explain how to thoughtfully do that. So that could be intentional testing in this case, uh, addressing essential workers, which are highly represented and making sure that they have protective gear. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, on the long-term game, making sure that uh, we're advocating that when we do get out of this recession or this kind of economic insult, uh, that they are included in policy and included in the solutions to uh, addressing whichever social determinant of health that may be uh, challenging communities to interface with the healthcare system appropriately. Mm -hmm. You spoke of dispersing information. I know that's been a big question is what's the best way to get information out to African-American communities, people of color. So we have so many platforms to share these days, right? We have newspaper and radio and social media and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok. I mean, it, the list goes on. What have you found that works well? Uh, so I feel like different venues have different, uh, not, I don't want to say goals, but they're effective at reaching different populations. Uh, I think, the community, directly working with community organizations is probably the most effective. If you can find like churches that have a large catchment area and uh, share the information that way, and they've been using social media as well. Facebook can be an effective tool. Uh, TikTok can be an effective tool. It seems like it might be more effective for like the high school <laughs> range. Um, Twitter, I think, is arguably more effective for like uh, sending information to like the medical community or making sure that they're aware of what these issues are. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the first start would be seeing what is the catchment for all these different social media platforms and then uh, going through the outlets that uh, penetrate those communities most effectively. Mm. So it sounds like, yes, use social media, use digital tools, but you're still advocating for in-person, uh, shoulder Absolutely. to shoulder uh, um, relationship and service to these communities, which is awesome. I agree. Uh, I think that that's missing in our world today and in general. So um, now that's a great direction, but do you think the messenger is just as important as the message? I think in an ideal situation, uh, some there's situations where they don't trust the hospital and you have to build that trust for the hospital. Mm -hmm. And you have to, and part of that is being truthful and uh, leveraging the, your, the stakeholder or the opportunities from the hospital to bring value to the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's typically like my, my vantage point on that, on that topic. Mm -hmm. Now you talk about building relationship. Um, and unfortunately those relationships are not always there. Uh, they're not built before a crisis hits. Yeah. So what does one do if you do not have those relationships in place, but you don't have time 
to spend a lengthy amounts of time doing relationship building, how do you get the message out there quickly? Uh, well, my first thought was like, you just have to do it <laughs> because part of it is, is just the right thing to do. Right. Like you can't, you can't uh, watch a community get hard hit and not do anything about it and say that, oh, well, they don't trust me anyway. Mm. So we're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that event, if they, if you know that your center may not be trusted or whatever the reason might be, uh, there are plenty of partnerships to sow within that community that you can go through as an advocate. Maybe they can advocate on behalf of that uh, for that organization. So maybe a hospital partnering with a school mm-hmm. and saying that uh, and going through a principal and saying that like, hey, we're, we're partnering with this platform to help address these issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they also want us to share this information. And here is a physician from this hospital uh, that thinks this information is important for our members. Mm-hmm. So that could be a, a way to to be creative and work swift, uh, swiftly. Um, but in an ideal situation, people would have earned that trust and could just be a little bit uh expeditious in terms of just delivering that information rather than like trying to figure out who who is the most effective uh, uh, partnerships to help deliver that message mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like the the relationship building needs to happen before it needs to be an ongoing uh task so that we can get information out there quicker so uh that's a great point. I'm going to ask you a final question, Dr. Walker. What is the most essential information message right now that is needed in the communities of color regarding COVID-19? The most essential message, what would you say? The most essential message. I mean, I, I would have to focus on science, to be honest. It would have to be protect yourself, wash hands, uh, develop a strategy for your family and understand your lived experience effectively so that you can protect people. Mm. Uh, I know that's more than one. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. So here's what I hear you saying. Protect yourself, wash your hands. What do you think about masks? There's been a lot of questions around that. Absolutely. You should wear um, masks whenever you go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a lot of people in the household, mask in common areas. Uh, and because at the end of the day, the virus really isn't that strong. You wash your hands, it's off you. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and the mask it, is twofold. It, it stops you from touching your face and touching your nose. So even if you have it on your hands and you're mm-hmm. passing it to your mask, uh, you're not necessarily directly transmitting it to, uh, your airway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, at baseline, those are the most important things. And then I think uh, in the meantime, if you have bandwidth, check on your neighbor, mm-hmm. check on people that you think might be vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, and then advocate for uh, some of the issues that could hopefully uh, not put uh, vulnerable communities, black and brown communities in, in, in this situation in the future. 
Very good. So Dr. Walker, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we really appreciated your insights. Is there a place if people wanted to connect with you that they could connect? Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is Garth Walker MD. Uh, you'll be able to see pretty much everything about me. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much the best way to get, get at me. Awesome. Thank you. So this concludes the episode of Public Health Speaks. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Garth Walker, for his insights on this very important conversation. For those of you who tuned in, thank you. And be sure to visit our website at nific.org. That's N-P-H-I-C.org for more strategies and resources for better public health communications. This is Cherie Rivera signing off. Stay well, friends. Thanks, Cherie.